0: Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community.
1: For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecator.org
0: or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur.
1: Now, enjoy the message. Ryan, I serve on the prayer team here at Renaissance and (laughs) for the last couple weeks we've been doing a series called that one thing right and it's been awesome to hear what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to the people that shared and also to our church but we're gonna go back into our study on the book of Luke and in a moment I'm gonna read the passages we're gonna be studying today and then Jeff's gonna give us the teaching on it but I just want to hit on that word Amber said in communion the word remember and in my life scripture's has always been important but you kind of can go through seasons maybe where you could forget right how important scripture is and so as we go back into our study in the book of luke i kind of just want to throw that out there for all of us myself fully included that we could remember that one of the main ways god speaks is through the bible right one of the main ways the holy spirit speaks is through the bible And so, it's only three verses today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And so, I'll just go ahead and read it. And as I read, just remember just the power that that God wants us to um, assign, maybe could be the right word, to the scripture. So, Luke chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all.
0: Give Ryan a hand, would you? So it was a Friday night, July seventeenth, nineteen 1981 to be precise, and the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Kansas City had just opened one year prior. And it was considered in that town at that time to be the most happening place there was to be on a Friday night. And that particular Friday uh, evening, the hotel was hosting a large gathering. It was called a tea dance. It was the early 80s. I have no idea what was happening. But there's about 1,600 people in attendance at this hotel, and they'd crowded into the hotel's atrium, and most of them were on the first floor, and they were dancing, and they're visiting with their friends. And around 60 people were watching um, from above on these suspended skywalks that were in the atrium of the hotel. These skywalks were a standout feature of the hotel, particularly because it appeared as if they were floating in the atrium, thanks to their suspended style. But sadly, today, they are remembered more for the death that they caused that evening than for the amazing architecture that they represented. You see, around 7 p.m., many surviving partygoers remember hearing a crack, a sudden crack. And in an instant, the fourth floor skywalk collapsed onto the second floor skywalk, and both of them poured down over the unsuspecting dancers below. Many of them died immediately. And those that survived now found themselves entombed in uh, tons of concrete and rebar steel. Calls began flooding into 911 Center, the 911 Center, and Dr. Joe Wackerly was on staff at the Baptist Medical Center. He wasn't working at the time, he was actually home. But the EMS um, people got a hold of him at home and they asked him immediately to come and to help. And they told him, do not go to the hospital, but go straight to the Hyatt, to the hotel. So he quickly dressed himself in his scrubs, grabbed his stethoscope. That's what doctors do. And he drove to the scene of which he said later looked like a bomb site. He later wrote, quote, I walked in and there were electrical wires swinging and arcing. There was water running out of pipes, which had been uh, severed by the skywalk collapses. I was walking in six to 12 inches of water. Everybody was sort of in chaos and screaming and people were attending the best they could to the injured people and their relatives, unquote. Dr. Joe closed his eyes. He took a deep breath, and he prayed. And he said to himself, okay, I have got to go do this. It's time to get it on. And in the midst of the carnage, in the midst of that carnage, he was faced with some of the most extremely difficult decisions that he would ever make in his life stepping over the dead, he looked for survivors. And when he found one, he would then have to decide whether or not to help them. He would say something like this. I would identify the people that I knew were going to die no matter what I did to help them, and I left them alone. And then I would look for the people that I knew were going to live no matter what I did, and I left them alone as well. So I went looking for the people in the middle, he says, the people that might have a chance to live, If I can intervene, those are the people that he went after. In the aftermath, the architect of the hotel, a man named Bob Berkebeil, was brought in to determine what had actually happened to those skywalks. Now, he had heard about the disaster previously. and He'd been losing sleep, wondering if he was the one that was, in fact, responsible for what had happened. Did he do something that caused this calamity? Was his design flawed? Fortunately for him, it wasn't his fault. It was discovered later that the final design drawings that he had produced were modified during the construction of the hotel. The fabrication engineer in charge of the Skywalks had submitted to the structural engineer <laughs> a more, a quote, more easier and effective way or efficient way to build the Skywalks. And these two engineers both agreed that this new design was just as safe as the one Bob had produced. But in reality, it wasn't. In reality, the way that they had redesigned the skywalks to be installed and to be built actually caused them to fail. And sadly, we have since learned the whole thing could have been avoided. You see, nowadays, when an engineer makes a change like this, they ask ask that the change be reviewed by a third-party engineering firm. And they have it reviewed to make sure it's safe. But this wasn't the case back in the 1980s. So the change was made. And then when the original architect, Bob, when he'd heard that this change had been made, he repeatedly went back and asked those engineers to recalculate, to ensure that their calculations were correct, that their new design was in fact safe. And the engineers repeatedly told the architect, they're fine, they're fine. But in fact, the engineers had not chosen to recalculate their calculations. The destruction that night, and I want you to hear me when I say this, was ultimately caused by one simple thing is they did not listen to the architect's advice. And sadly, 114 people lost their lives because of it. We all have friends, close people, people you work with, maybe family, I don't know. You've all said something like this to them after um, an accident or when they find themselves in a precarious situation. We always say something like, why didn't you just listen to me, bro? Why didn't you, anyone, anyone? Maybe you're the one that we're talking to. I'm just saying. Why didn't you listen? The truth is, in fact, when we talk to these people, they hear us. They do. It sounds simple to say, but the sound vibrations leave our mouths. They go into their ear canal, vibrate the eardrum. The brain interprets that as a signal, as a message. They've heard us when we say these things. They just don't what? Listen to us. They didn't act upon the information that they received. You see, hearing is more than just listening. It involves action. You have to do something. To truly hear someone is to respond, to act upon their words. And unfortunately, people today don't do this. And yet, I will say this. This is not just a contemporary issue that we face in our modern world. History is replete with stories like this. Take this, for example. In 1912, the captain of the world's first unsinkable ship, the Titanic, (laughs) didn't listen to the advice of his crew, warning him that the ship was sailing too dangerously close to icebergs. Now, we've all seen the movie. We know how it ends. Fifteen hundred people lose their life that very night. And to be clear, even though I firmly believe, and I mean this sincerely, I think Jack would have fit on the door with Rose. When he slipped off that door and into the abyss, I blame the captain, not Rose, for his death. <laughs> Thank you for getting my joke. Uh, those of you that didn't, whatever. Um, the, the fall of the Roman Empire in the third century is another great example. This was caused by many problems for sure, but historians all agree on this one big issue, was that the Caesars had become arrogant and despotic in their... Um, listening or uh, life and they refused to listen to their advisors and so like every empire before them and every empire since they fell from power and influence listening requires that we do something i mentioned stories like this are replete in the pages of history they all bring some added emphasis to the passage that ryan read for us this morning and it's going to make more sense when i put some context to the words of jesus so Ryan read Luke chapter 6, 17 through 19. It's, the, it's like a preamble to what follows. What follows in verses 20 through 49 is what Bible scholars call the Sermon on the Plain. How many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew's gospel? It's a little more famous. This is the stepbrother to that sermon. This is the Sermon on the Plain. And it's called the Sermon on the Plain because of what Luke records for us. When Jesus comes down the the mountain in verse 17, it says that Jesus stood on a level place, whatever that means. And so Bible scholars and interpreters consider that to just be like a plain, a level place. And so these two sermons are very similar. So some scholars believe that maybe Luke and Matthew are actually recording the same sermon. But they're actually different too. For example, Luke's sermon is actually shorter than Matthew's. And Matthew's takes place on a mountain and Luke's does not. So these differences suggest that maybe they're two different sermons. It doesn't really matter. We don't really know. This is where we shrug our shoulders and go, we don't know. It's possible that Jesus gave this sermon many times. And I like to imagine that, that Jesus, much like a motivational speaker or a politician, don't hear that the wrong way, (laughs) but he would take these words that his people needed to hear and he would teach them again and again and again to his disciples in these sermons, both in Luke and in Matthew, you're going to hear very familiar verses—verses verses about loving your enemy and following the golden rule. But the important thing for us today is to grab a hold of this idea: is that Jesus is not just teaching his people so that they can hear something new, and he has, he doesn't desire to reinforce some godly principles that they've already heard but somehow forgotten. No, Jesus is teaching his disciples because he wants them to hear him and do what he says. They, like us, they needed to hear and understand, wait for it, how obedience works in the lives of the believer. How obedience to God's words, Jesus' words in particular, shapes our life and the world around us. We know this is true because when we look at the end of these sermons, Jesus says something at the end of both sermons. He says this. When he's finished giving instructions, like the golden rule and, and turn the other cheek and all these things that we love to hear, the beatitudes, so to speak, he asks his disciples this question, and I put this question before you as well. Jesus asks them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Is anyone listening today? Why is there blonde hair on my microphone? <laughs> Why do we sit, sit in a place of reverence and, or stand in a place of worship and, 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 and act like we just love the Lord? I'm not saying we're acting, we're faking it, but, but, but Jesus would be asking us the same question. Why do we stand in a place and say, I surrender to him and surrender to him, but not do the things he asks us to do? Jesus continues and he says that if those choose to obey his words, And do what he says. They'll be like a successful builder who builds his house or his home, rather, on a solid rock foundation. And when storms come, they'll be able to be sustained through those storms. But he warns those who do not obey. Are you listening? He warns those who do not obey. They're like a builder who builds their house or their home on an unstable sandy foundation that will, hear me, will eventually fail and cause calamity. I do not want you to face calamity in your life. And I don't want you to miss it just because you simply don't understand the importance of obedience to God. If you ever get a chance to invite someone to, are you guys with me? Can I keep going? All right, don't fall asleep on me now. If you ever get a chance to invite someone to church, maybe it's Renaissance, I don't know, I think that'd be awesome. They'll probably ask you what kind of a church is it. I think that's awesome. I think what they're really getting at is like, um, besides like what kind of clothes do I have to wear? And you could get by with shorts and t-shirt, we don't care. But they really want to know what kind of uh, church is it? What are they teaching there at the church? Simply, what what does the church believe? You ever been invited to church you just want to know what they believe before you go? I think that's smart. I always tell people who ask me what kind of church we are is that uh, we're probably like most churches that you've ever visited before. We sing songs and worship to God, amen, amen. We teach out of the Bible. We pray during our service. Don't be surprised if we pray during service. We are a church, (laughs) Just like the church down the street, we look a lot like them. Now, we might look different, we might sound different, and all that is is fine. I, I think God wants us to look different and sound different. Amen? But you will find that our essential beliefs probably resonate most closely with the churches down the street. You could say that Renaissance is orthodox in our beliefs. The word orthodox or orthodoxy comes from two Greek words, orthos, meaning the right way or the true way or the straight way. And a word doxa, which just means opinion or knowledge. So orthodoxy just means simply right knowledge, right? It just means right knowledge or correct belief. So orthodox churches, not to be confused with Eastern Orthodox or Greek Orthodox churches, are churches that simply believe the same essentials of faith. For example, let's just go through a a few of them here. We believe, with all the other churches in town that would believe this, that Jesus is the Son of God. Say amen. Amen. Well done. We'll start there. That he is the son of God, that he came to earth, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, gave his life as a sacrifice on a cross for our sins. We believe that he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he was raised to life. He is risen. Ha <laughs> He is risen indeed. That's a minus one for you all. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the church answer. We'll try that again later. Now, there are many, many other orthodox beliefs that we could talk about. I I think we'll spend time doing that at another point. But there are some other things I want to discuss. I want to discuss what some people describe as the opposite of orthodoxy. It's this thing called orthopraxy. How many people have heard of orthopraxy? This is getting dangerously close to a lecture at this point, and I apologize. Um, But y'all need some learning. I'm just going to give it to you. We need learning orthopraxy, like orthodoxy, comes from the combination of Greek words, ortho, meaning straight, true, or right, and praxis, which sounds similar to our English word practice. So orthopraxy just means correct or right practice. Correct or right behavior. So as the lead pastor of this church called Renaissance, I want to say something to all of you who would listen to me today. You who have ears to hear, hear today. For some time, I've been praying to the Lord that he would lead us into a renewed vision of a church, a renewed purpose for our church, what we do at Renaissance. Why do we exist? If we were to just dry up and blow away tomorrow, would the city miss us? And I want, I want the city to miss us. I want people to know if we don't gather that it matters. I want to be more than just a church who teaches and has great worship. I think we have all those things, but I want to be a church who is disciplined into the things that God is calling us to do. And I'm beginning to believe that God is leading us into that. I've always considered myself more of a teacher than a pastor. If you've ever not been pastored by me, that's why I'm a teacher. I just have pastor as my title and I apologize for that. That's my gift. I want to teach people. I want to give them biblical literacy so they understand the truth of Scripture, that you understand what the Bible means. But I am, I'm feeling and have been feeling for some time more compelled to shape the lives of the people who call Renaissance home. And that's, that has to move beyond just Bible exegesis and practical application to the words. We've got to learn how to obey what God is saying to us. I want to be a, become a disciple maker. I want to help shape your life. If you'll allow me, will you allow me? <laughs> like, I don't know you, bro. I don't know. <laughs> so if you're unfamiliar with the term disciple, it just means apprentice. It just means apprentice. And apprentices follow their masters and they learn from them and they, they copy them. They do the things that their masters do. Hear me when I say this. I think it's about time we start acting a whole lot more like Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He cares how we act. This idea was confirmed in me even last week when Pastor Jamison Wheeler shared with us. Who was here last week? What? Was that cool or what? Jamison's a stud. Yes. I agree. He can sing better than me. I know that. But he shared with what he felt the Lord was leading him into. Personally, was leading him into obedience. And as he's telling me the story in my office before the service, um, I was, I was convinced that that word is for us too, that God is calling us as a church into obedience. Who agrees with that? Put your hand up before the Lord. I'm not going to shame you into it. I'm not going to make you do it. But if you believe that, then let's raise our hands before the Lord and say, Lord, we want to be people who look like you. We want to be people who act like you. We hardly ever want to be obedient to others. We want to be others rather to be obedient to us. Right, you do what I say, not the other way around. But what if the person that is asking for our obedience is not just some bro we work with, but in fact, God, the creator of everything. And that his way of a submitted obedience is, is actually like trusting the architect who made us. Can anyone see this? Trusting the architect who made us and our lives will begin to work the way they're supposed to work. Only when we begin begin meddling with the design, <laughs> do we see the calamity that ensues. Obedience requires a response; it demands that we hear and we respond to God speaking to us. I'm going to say this, which is with as much pastoral care as I can muster, but God does not desire for us to just continue on a quest to only know about Him through Bible study and the study of Scripture. I think that's important, yes, and Amen. But He desires us to know Him through our actions our actions of trust and faithful obedience. This opens the spigot to a deeper well of intimacy and knowledge from him that you cannot hear me. We will never arrive to, unless we, from just reading scriptures alone, it requires something of us. And the invitation from God to follow him into that through trust and faithful obedience, then we know him more. Then we see his call on our life more. For those of you in the room who feel God is far off, and I won't ask you to raise your hand. I just raised my hand because my sleeve was weird. But that's if For those of you who feel like God is far off, I want to encourage you with this biblical truth. God is no further away from you than you are away from you. And this is not to say somehow that you are a God. It's just to say the scriptural truth is this, that God placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. The presence of God is with you. Say Amen. It's quite possible that you don't see God around you and you think he's far away because you don't see him acting in your life. And the reason you don't see him acting in your life is because you don't act like him in your life. He's absent because you're not showing you what it looks like. We all know that our actions, when led by our own desires, lead to shame and to sorrow. And I can assure you, if we choose to act in faith, By the words spoken to us by God, we will never feel regret. Knowing God the Father through his son Jesus by living an empowered life in the Spirit is our goal. Someone shout amen. Amen. And it's not only what God wants for us, he wants it for others too. And we can become a lighthouse on a hill, a lampstand, if you will, that will draw people like moths to a flame towards the work that Christ is doing. The, the verses that Ryan read, verse 17, it says this, that Jesus came down with them, the disciples, and he stood on a level place. And with them was a great crowd, a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and from Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus had previously gone up the mountain He prayed and asked God the Father, who should he choose to be his closest disciples? We don't have time to go back and retell that story, but he was going up to God. He's praying, who should I choose to be disciples? These disciples will be the apostles that will start the church. And Jesus is looking for advice from God, goes up there, prays, and he picks his 12 disciples. He comes down from the mountain. He stands on this level place. And it says that there's a bunch of people with him, not just the disciples, but crowds have gathered around. All these crowds had began to follow around Jesus, he'd become quite popular with everyone, except for the Pharisees and religious leaders. They rejected his authority and his teaching. They saw Jesus as someone to distrust, someone to silence. And we do not see Jesus that way. But unlike those religious leaders, the uh, crowds gather, gathered not to spy on Jesus or keep an eye on him, but they gathered around Jesus for one purpose, to hear him teach and to be healed by him. Luke tells us that the multitude even included those people from Tyre and Sidon. Some biblical scholars think that this means that Gentiles, this means non-Jewish people were starting to gather around Jesus. He was becoming famous even amongst people who aren't Jewish, who don't know the ways of God, who don't know anything about God, but they saw something was happening in Jesus' life, and so they began to follow after him. And Jesus, by no mention in Luke or in Matthew or any of the gospels, ever pushed these people aside. If anyone wanted to get close to Jesus, they were allowed. In fact, Jesus rebuked some of his own disciples when they stopped children from coming up to him. Jesus wants all to come to him. Say amen. Amen. All, everyone is invited. This ministry of Jesus was extending beyond his small circle a band of followers. His message of life, real life through obedience was available to everyone. And the same is true for us but we must choose it for ourselves. I cannot, as much as I wish to, choose it for you. Oh, God, do I want to. I cannot. This is your life. It is possible that Luke is intending to show the importance of hearing from Jesus Before healing, it's mentioned first, and there's this hermeneutic of first principle or first mention. So they come to hear Jesus and be healed by Jesus. Before there were healings, before the demons were cast out, before all those with trouble could be made whole, the first thing they did was listen to Jesus. Those words that Jesus spoke continue to shape the world in which we live. Jesus is the lead character of the story of redemption in the scriptures. And whether this world wants to acknowledge him as Lord or not, he is also the most important person in history. More books have been written about Jesus, more songs sung to him, more poems coined about him. And our calendar even notes the significance of his life by separating our history into two epics, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., the Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus matters. And this is why hearing the words of Jesus, the words of eternal life are so important for us. Only Jesus can lead us, Jesus rather can lead us to an eternity with God. His death, his burial, his resurrection, it redeems all of the sins that we have volitionally committed, choosing our own way instead of the way of God. That his sacrifice redeems us. But I want you to know that here at Renaissance, that we believe in healings. Say amen. Amen. (laughs) Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We believe in healings. We believe in casting out of de- uh, in healings. We believe in casting out demons. We believe God can make your life free from any anchor that keeps you from swimming in his cleansing streams. We believe that God teaches people about Jesus first. And we believe that that is our primary goal is to teach you first about Jesus. Our primary desire is to commend our energies to educating anyone who listened that Jesus is the way. He is the life. Everything flows out of him. Everything flows from Jesus. But Luke continues in verse nine, it says, and all the crowd sought to touch him. Why? Because Jesus had power to heal them and power came out from him and healed them all. We read these words in verse 19 and we see that Jesus was not only a great teacher, but he was also a healer. They had the power to heal people. And somehow, some way, some mysteriously, don't hear this the wrong way, magical way, this power came out of Jesus and impacted the lives of people around him. You'll remember the woman who was sick in one of the other gospels. I didn't, I don't remember which one, but she was terribly sick with this bleeding sickness. And she had heard Jesus was coming through her area. And so she gathered into the street to go meet with him. But there were so many people, she couldn't get close to Jesus to talk to him. So, um, looking, warning to even look foolish, she just reached out from the crowd and, and touched his clothing. And when Jesus um, felt. Um, Someone touched him. He said, power went out from him and he stopped everyone in the crowd. And he said, who touched me? And his disciples like rebuked Jesus. They're like, chill, bro. There's a bunch of people around. A hundred people touched you. And, And Jesus was like, no, someone needed something from me and reached out for help. Power left me and healed her. Jesus has this power to heal. But not only was Jesus a healer, wait for it, Jesus is a healer. (laughs) I smiled when I wrote that. I just got to tell you, when I typed that on my little thing there, he not only was a healer, but he is a healer. He is. We believe Jesus still heals today. We believe that he still has power to heal, and he uses that power, power to make people whole. I want you to know when you ask us to pray for you, We do not offer up empty words of hopelessness, but rather like the woman reaching out to touch his clothing, we risk looking foolish and we pray bold, faith-filled prayers that Jesus would heal you, would enter into your situation. We mean that seriously. We pray for the miraculous every week in that prayer room. Before service, I gather with a group of people who are crazy enough to get up early with me and come pray. We pray in tongues and we pray that God would show up in power that a spirit would come and he would touch the lives of people here and people would know it. It would not be, um, it, come on brain, anyone pray for me. Um, it, it would be that you would know it's happening, that there'd be no mistake that something significant was taking place in the church because the spirit of God was there. These are the things we pray for every week while well, you're waiting for your delicious burrito downstairs. There are some of us upstairs praying for you. And not once have any of you ever offered me a burrito while I was praying, just for the record. I'm not upset. I'm just saying. State and facts, Nick. State and facts. No one brings Jeff a burrito. Who said that? Let's go, Jack. Let's go. So I want you to know, we have seen people healed in this church. I'm not, I'm not speaking in hyperbole. I mean it. I have seen people healed in this church. And I say this, during our worship time, during the service time, I, I think many of you need to leave this room and go to that prayer room. And we have prayer hosts back there and they will pray with you and they will take your need before God and we will believe with you that God can change something. There's something else we must consider before we move on. We need to talk about healings and miracles. Although they are awesome, say amen. Healings and miracles are awesome. Know this, they only provide temporary relief. And they usually fix things that we had no control over anyway: sickness, disease. We don't cause that stuff. It happens to us. And when God fixes it, we're like, woohoo, we celebrate. Certainly, we celebrate. But at some point, we will take our last breath here on this earth. Healings and miracles, let's go, but they are temporary. When we breathe our last and our our next breath is taken in eternity, that's what matters most. That's what matters most. God cares about our eternity. In fact, he cares so much that he sent his son, Jesus, into the world that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. Remember John 3.16, anyone? The NFL season's coming up. Someone's going to be holding that behind a goalpost at some point, I'm sure. They always hold that sign up. Speaking of signs, did you know that all the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament are called signs? They're called signs, and they're called wonders, and they are called that because they point to Jesus who offers eternal life. Does um, anyone, um, mind if I step away from my com- computer for a minute? Does anyone play with chat GPT at all? Like you're still a Christian if you do. Raise your hand, it's fine. I'm like people look, like, I don't know that's from the devil, isn't it? That's what they say on Fox News. I don't know what's going on. Oh, I went too far. I apologize. I should stay on my notes. I'm so sorry. So I'm so sorry. I mean this seriously, I'm sorry. Um, I actually love all of the uh, AI bots that are online. I use them constantly. I'm in grad school right now, if you don't know that. And so um, all my classes are online, so I don't really get to communicate with other classmates. But I'll write something or consider something, and I'll I'll type it into a chat bot just to see if I'm thinking correctly. And I have these conversations with these artificial intelligence things. I know I'm that guy, right? I want you to hear this. I took this entire sermon that I wrote, all 3,500 words up to this point, and I put it into the chatbot and I just asked it to learn from what I just taught it. And I asked the chatbot to write a conclusion to my paper, to my sermon. And I wanted to see if I was actually saying the things that I wanted to say. Here's what the chatbot said. This is not the word of the Lord. Amen. Right? This is what the chatbot seems to think I'm trying to communicate. The tragic events at the Hyatt Regency in Kansas City and other historical examples, it underscores the importance of listening and acting upon what we hear. Did you pick that up? Yes. And the differences between, between hearing and truly listening lies in our response and our action. It should never be enough to just know the right beliefs or to be orthodox in our understanding, but we also must be orthopractic, or practic in our behavior. Our listening must include action. Let me say it again. Chatbots, so let me say it again. I'm like, say it. Obedience to God is a crucial aspect of our faith. It involves acting upon the knowledge we have of Him, aligning our lives with His teaching. It is through obedience that we draw closer to Him and experience a deeper level of intimacy and knowledge of God. The transformative power of obedience can lead us to a life of fulfillment and purpose. Lastly, Remember, Jesus' ministry was open to everyone. Anyone who sought him could come to Jesus. Regardless of their background, regardless of their beliefs, Jesus offered healing to those who came to hear. And the same is true for us here at Renaissance. I added this, this is me now. That no matter your background, you are welcome here. We still believe in the power of healing through Jesus. And I pray that your faith would lead you to pray boldly and confidently for healing. We know that God's power is not limited to time or any circumstance. So I finish with this. Um, this is all a setup for where we're headed over the next few weeks. Ryan was correct in telling us this morning. We're going back into our study in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be in Luke taking breaks for, I don't know, Christmas and Easter and a couple of things. But I've mapped out the gospel of Luke through the year 2026 or 2027. I'm not real sure. This is, hear me, this is where we're going to be for a while. I want you to get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab one underneath the seat around you. Write your name in it. It's yours. Take it with you and read Luke with us. Every week we will pick up where we left off. And so today is more like a primer for where we're headed. Jesus is going to teach the Sermon on the Plain. He's going to give us instruction on how our lives are to be lived. This is just to set us up. We have to choose. Are we going to obey the things he says or are we not? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you that we we uh, we are part of a church rather that believes in your power for today. That it's not just something from antiquity that we have to read about in history books, but we can actually engage with your power even now. So Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to be obedient to your words. That you would you would shake the idol of ourselves that sits on the altar of our hearts, Lord. Many of us, Western American Christians, we just have this individualistic idea that somehow all of this is for us alone. And we become so myopic in our thinking that it's just for us and no one else. And because of that, when God asks us to do things for others, we say no. And that disobedience, it leads us to a place a feeling like you're far away, a feeling like you're not really true. And it's because we have chosen to serve another God called ourself. God, we, we rebuke that idea in Jesus' name. We must be people who serve you. We don't want to be people who call you Lord, Lord, and do not do what you say. God, would you change us from the inside? Make us new by the death of your son, his resurrection make us new by that belief lord god but then then put your holy spirit inside of us in power that we might live a changed life and that we will see you everywhere we go because we are acting like you everywhere we go god that's what we desire make us a beacon a light that all the city would look to and see that something's going on. Jesus is changing lives and they want to be a part of it. God, we're asking not for our fame, but for your fame, Lord. But it starts with us. Today we change. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our
1: community, so please, Check out the Church at homepage at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to
0: see you.